Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. I'm so glad you're here. Those of you that are tuning in right now on YouTube or Facebook or listening to this on the podcast, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor. I'm thrilled that you're with us. Thanks for giving up a little bit of your time to hear what it is that maybe God might have for you today. And I don't take that lightly. We've been in a series that we've called How the Blank Stole Christmas. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with the Dr. Seuss original of The Grinch. The dude struggles with some things and it, it almost ruins Christmas because the Grinch has some issues. And we looked the first week at how Satan uses coveting, greed, the desire for more, which is very prevalent at Christmas. Sometimes our greed um, robs us of Christmas. And, and, and when I say Christmas, what I mean is when Jesus Christ left heaven to come to earth, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. He did it to bring hope and joy and peace to this jacked up dumpster fire of a world. And that's what Christmas should be about. But a lot of times we miss the mark with Christmas because of all the other stuff. And a lot of times greed takes us out of that. Last week we looked at the idea of comparison where we are looking at what other people have, how they are. We either look down on people because they're not as good as us or we, we feel bad about ourselves because we look at people who have more than us. And that comparison robs us of a lot. Let me remind you of what it is that the angel said to the shepherds 2,000 plus years ago on Christmas night when Jesus Christ was born in a manger, when the Son of God wrapped himself in flesh and became man so that he could redeem mankind, the angel showed up to the, to the shepherd in Luke chapter 2 verse 10. He said, hey, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't freak out. Seeing an angel is a pretty weird thing. He goes, but don't freak out. I bring you good news, good tidings. I bring you some news that should bring joy to all people. I, I, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which applies to everybody. This idea of Jesus Christ, the idea of Christmas was to bring joy everywhere. So now we have to ask the question, why is it it doesn't feel like that all the time? Why is it that as much as we are supposed to be filled with joy and peace and hope, and that's what the Christmas season's supposed to be about, why is it for many of us, some of you in this room right now, in this very minute, joy is not what you feel? You're not filled with hope. Now, some of you will be like, Pastor, I am good. Praise God, you're good. But maybe there's somebody in your family that's not good. So maybe God has you here today because one of your classmates or one of your coworkers or one of your neighbors, they're not in a good spot. So if you're good today, don't tune out this message and be like, well, that's not for me. You're preaching to somebody else. Now I'm preaching to you. God did not let me bring the message that I wanted to bring. I wanted to bring something different. And he said, no, this is what the, this is what the church needs right now. I had several conversations this week with people who were, were struggling struggling heavily with depression and discouragement. See, remember Jesus said that he came to give us a rich and satisfying life in John 10, 10. He said, my purpose is to give you a light that's full, full of joy, full of hope, full of peace. But he says, you have an enemy. Every single one of us have an enemy, the devil, and he's a thief. And what he does is he comes to steal, to kill and to destroy anything good in your life. So if your life right now is supposed to look like the joy of the Christmas season, 
Your enemy is trying to make sure that you ha- he steals and kills and destroys that joy. How does he do that? The devil repeatedly uses distraction. If he can distract us, get us to stop looking at God as good. If he can distract us from God's joy, God's grace, God's mercy, all the good that is God. When I start to doubt God, can we just be honest this morning? When I start to doubt that God is good, and that usually happens when something crappy happens in my life, when I begin to struggle, when I watch too much of the news, when I get some bills that I don't know how to pay. You guys with me today? I begin, I'm just being honest, I begin to get distracted from how good God is and I start to fixate on some of the negatives. Satan uses distraction because distraction from God's goodness leads me to discouragement. And once I get discouraged, and some of you are in that moment, you're in that right now, you're distracted, some of you are distracted, some of you, you've gone from distraction of who God is to now you're discouraged because you're fixating on the wrong things. And you're focusing on all the negative. And that discouragement leads to depression. Distraction leads to discouragement. Discouragement leads to depression. Depression leads to darkness. And our enemy is robbing the world of the joy of Christmas. The very reason the angel said that this is all happening is to bring peace and joy. And the reason we don't see it in our world today is because we're distracted from the real meaning of Christmas and we are discouraged and a depressed people. Now, once again, some of you would say, not me, pastor, <laughs> I'm good. Some of you are just good at faking, by the way. Some of the most depressed people I know, a friend of mine who is suicidal on the outside, he was one of the happiest people you could have met. Because some of you are good at painting a smile. Some of you are extroverts like myself. You can just be on all the hey, oh, how are you? It is great. I am so good. And then inside you're like, oh. So judging on the exterior is not a, is not a good judge. Do you, I need you to understand, depression does not discriminate. Any one of us can struggle with it at any time. So if you're good now, you may not be good tomorrow. And if you're good now, it may be that God has put somebody in your life who is not good, and this message is so that you can begin to see a way that you might be able to help them. It might be your kids, it might be your parents, it might be a coworker, it might be a classmate, it might be a brother or a sister or a cousin or an aunt or an uncle. So what do we do with that? Well, I think we need to own it. I think we need to own the fact that it doesn't discriminate. Anybody can be depressed. If you're not depressed today, it doesn't make you better or more spiritual than somebody who is. Nobody wrote that down, but that's true. You're not better than somebody just because you're not struggling right now. And it happens to be a very huge problem that comes out more so in the holiday season, by the way. Over 290 million people were diagnosed with depression last year, and that's only the ones that went to get help that most experts think it's probably three times that amount. Out of the ones who got diagnosed with depression, only 42% got any help. And the largest, this one surprised me, the largest upswing in depression since COVID, since 2020, the last two years, the largest upswing in depression fell in the category of people 65 and older. Uh, That was really, I was like, wow, man, this huge uptick. Most of the people that were interviewed for having an addiction problem with drugs, alcohol, something like that, 
60% said they were using a substance to help them forget about something, to help them numb a pain, help them move past a depression or something that they were struggling with. This is a problem all the time, and yet our church hides it. I, I don't mean harbor in, in, in particular. I mean church in general doesn't do a good job owning it. What do we do? You're sad? Turn that frown upside down. <laughs> you just need to smile more. Thanks, that fixed everything. I'm in such a good mood now, boy. And see, a lot of times, because we're afraid and we don't know how to talk to somebody who's in a dark place, we just use cop that, like, just love Jesus and you'll be okay. <laughs> Why is the church bad at that? Guys, if, there's, if there ever should be a safe place for somebody to come and say, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm angry, I'm confused, I'm bitter, I'm scared. This should be the environment where we can come and lay this down at Jesus' feet and own it. But we, we show up and we're like, well, everybody else has their act together, so I guess I'm, I'm good too. You know how dumb that is? That reminds me of us being dumb as kids. Do you remember how dumb we were at kids at trying to hide stuff? I don't know, maybe your parents were a lot like, more lenient than mine. Mine were like, get the heck out of the house, and they would lock the door behind. I was one of five kids, so like you were allowed to do that back then. Just like, go play, come back when the street lights come on, come home. Now it's illegal. It's illegal to let your kids play at the playground, I found out, because I was like over on the side, and this mom is like, your kids are over here at the swings. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> They're fine, so you need to be next to them. I'm like, this is gonna blow your mind, lady. When I was a kid, I went to the playground by myself. <laughs> I rode my bike for miles to get there just to play by myself. And by the way, lady, our playground wasn't plastic. <laughs> Everything here is like designed so that a kid can fall. Like, Woo! I'm good. <laughs> I was like, my playground was just like, somebody's like, what are we gonna do with all this leftover rebar? Put a, put a pile of metal there, let the kids swing on that. Heck, build it as tall as you can get it. That'll be good for kids. My, my kids slide, it's like two or three plastic slides with like big rails or even a tube that go down. My slide as a kid was like a 45 foot tall slab of metal. You guys remember those slides? Out in the middle, so if you fell off of it, you were sure to break every bone in your body. It was super steep. It wasn't like these slides that are like barely gravity. It was like these kind of slides. And they were made out of sheet metal so that if it was the summer and you got on there with a pair of shorts on, your skin seared to it. And you're like, ah! And I, we made sure that none of us used the slide properly. You go like five at a time, you'd bobsled down it. And what we would do is we'd try to run up the wrong way, you know, run up the downside. And then when your friends would be funny and come down while you were trying to run up, and that was a guarantee collision. And I remember one time I fell off at the top of the slide because we were horse, you know, like, you know, a little horse play. And I remember I broke my arm and I got out there. <laughs> It really hurts. It starts really bad. And like, don't tell your mom. Don't tell your mom. Okay. Like, just go home and go to bed, because that was the secret, right? Just sleep it off. It'll feel better. So I'm at home like, hey, mom. I'll eat some dinner. <laughs> no, it's normally like this. Normally burns and the bone sticks out. It's always, it's always been. How dumb were we, right? Like, we would just hide stuff. You know, one of the ladies told me that she told her kids, that uh, the, the ER, the emergency room, was closed on the weekends. <laughs> Don't do anything stupid Friday through Monday because you got to wait till Monday to go to the ER. Oh, that was pretty smart. Kids are like, we can't get hurt on a Saturday. <laughs> 
But I thought about that, like how we would hide injuries and stuff. And unfortunately, that seems to be what we do with depression. How dumb would it be if somebody came and was like, my arm's broken. You'd be like, you just need to walk that off. <laughs> Smile some more. It'll get better. What would you say to somebody? Hey, you, you need to go see a doctor. Hey, you need to get some medicine for that. Somebody was really messed up. I hope you would be a good enough friend to say, hey, we got to deal with this. That's not something to pretend like doesn't exist. And yet when it comes to depression, that's what we do. Why? Because I think we're, we, we don't know what to do with it. Now, listen, I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a, 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 a professional in this. I'm a pastor. So I'm going to speak to you from scripture on this. But the Bible says in uh, Proverbs, or in, yeah, in Proverbs 12, it says that anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Anxiety. That's a worry. It's a fear. It's when stress binds up in our soul. To be weighed down by all the problems, all the stress, all the anxiety, that is what brings depression. Some of you are like, gee, thanks. I didn't already know that. But See, that's not all that this verse says. The verse also says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. A good word makes it glad. See, here's the thing. I do not have the time in today's message to unpack years and years and years of discouragement and depression in your life. I don't have the time today. In a short message, I can't do that. And some of you see that verse and you're like, a good word isn't going to fix all my problems. I'm not saying it is. The subject of depression is too complex for what we can cover in our time together today. But what I'm praying, what I'm asking God for is a word a good word that begins to peel back some of the layers that have built up in some of your lives and we begin to take you on a journey in the right direction. Because some of you have been buying in in the wrong direction. And there's a lot of reasons for depression. If you ask most clinical experts, if you study up on this, there's four causes for depression. Most experts agree on this. There's four causes. The first one is... is um, uh, Man, I'm drawing a blank. Biological. I'm sitting there going, what is my, what is my nose? It's biological. It's, it's in your body. It's a chemical thing for a lot of people. It's a, it's a, there's, the chemicals are not there. The, the, there's something off. Maybe it's in your brain. Maybe it's something, a hormone you're going through. Uh, maybe biologically, you're just in a lot of pain. Your body, there's something wrong in your body, and that just causes an insane amount of pain constantly, and that's why you're depressed. It might be that you've, you've had a baby, and postpartum, the, the hormones are not the way they need to be, and you're depressed. It might be that um, there's, there's, uh, you're not getting enough exercise, enough sunlight, enough nutrients. It might be a diet-based thing. There are a lot of causes biologically to depression. There's also causes circumstantially. Yeah, the circumstances in your life might have changed. Your, your work might have fired you, laid you off. You, 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 you're, you're, um, you know, a loved one has passed away. You've lost somebody. You, you might, heck, you might have just gone into retirement, right? That's a great thing. I'm retired. But circumstances have led you to also go, what's my purpose now? What do I do with the rest of my life? Circumstances change, and that brings depression. Relational depression is a real thing. That's the third one. It might be that your marriage has fallen apart. It might be that somebody you love has rejected you. It might be that your kids aren't talking to you. There might be a, a relationship that has broken and that is causing depression. But fourthly, I also think besides um, biological, besides circumstantial, and besides relation, relational, there's also spiritual depression. 
The Bible says that we're in a battle, uh, not of flesh and blood, but in light and darkness. And there's an unseen part of what's going on in our life. And you might be going through spiritual depression because you're under some attacks that way. As we begin to peel this back, we got to go, okay, then what do we do with that? Here's what I love is God doesn't shy away from this. Even if churches and pastors have shied away from it, God doesn't shy away from it. And he gives us several examples. He actually, not because God didn't know, but because he wanted us to know, he had two of his, his prominent prophets record their depression in the Bible for us to learn from. Now, I want to show you two of them. There's actually more than that, but I'm only going to show you these two because that's all we barely have time for. These men are men of God. The first one is a guy named Elijah. He is a prophet from God who, who in one chapter, in chapter 18, he stands on Mount Carmel in front of hundreds of false prophets and calls down fire from heaven. And that's how much faith he has in God. He hears words from God and he leads people to worship God. That's his job is to keep his country of Israel serving and following God. And he has to go up battle one versus 800. All these other false prophets of Baal and Asherah, he takes them on. They call down fire, nothing happens. He calls down fire and God brings fire into this altar. So he kills all of these false prophets and he worships God and he tells all the people, this is who they have to serve. But the queen of the day, Jezebel, she, it was her prophet. She was the one that was bringing Israel to worship Baal. And so she gets mad and she sends Elijah a message. If it was modern day, it would have been a text message. And she says, hey, you killed my prophets. I'm going to kill you. And so chapter 18, he's on a mountaintop with a victory. And how many of you know that you can go from a mountaintop one day to a valley the next you know what I'm talking about? Just because you're good today doesn't mean tomorrow's going to be good. And Elijah in chapter 18 is just loving God, calling down fire. And in chapter 19, it says this. Elijah, verse 3 of 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He had one friend, one servant that was with him, and he leaves him in Beersheba. Some of you need to own this right now. You're, when you get discouraged, when you get distracted, when you get depressed, one of your tendencies is to become isolated. You will push people out of your life. You don't want to admit it, but you do that. And a lot of you do it like, I don't want them to get hurt. I'm going through some stuff and I just, they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't be able to deal with it. I don't want them to get hurt. Some of you are pushing people out because they're going to hurt me and I don't want to be hurt by anybody. So you're keeping people out of your life. You're intentionally keeping people at arm's length. You become reclusive and standoffish. And it's, it's a sign that you're depressed. It's a sign that you're discouraged when you, when you push people out. Not always, but in a lot of cases. So he pushes people out and says he then went alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree. He goes into the wilderness. He retreats even further away from people. This is what darkness looks like. This is what discouragement looks like. He pushes people away, and it says, remember, this is the man of God. Homeslice called down fire from heaven in the last chapter, and now he sits under a tree, and he says he prays that he might die. Elijah went from a victory to becoming suicidal in just a few verses, in just a few days. God, I have had enough, Lord, this is his prayer. I've had enough, God. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. God, I don't have a reason to live. This is, this is recorded not because God didn't know all this happened. He wanted us to see it so we can learn from it. There is somebody who's supposed to be walking with God, and his prayer is, God, I want to die. 
He's not being, uh, he's not speaking in hyperbole. He wanted to die. Kill me now. I want to die. God actually gives him some food instead. He's like, you need to take a nap. You need to eat something. There's a whole message there. I don't have time to preach. Get up. We want to go on a journey. He, get, he eats the food. He actually travels to Mount Sinai. Now watch this. When he gets to Mount Sinai in verse 9, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. See, a lot of times when we, when we are isolating ourselves, we begin, we begin to withdraw into the darkest place we can find. He puts himself in a cave. And I love that God shows up. It says, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing? See, for a lot of us, it's not a physical cave. It's a metaphorical cave. We just put the covers over our heads. I'm not preaching to myself today, am I? Like, you guys with me? Okay. Like, I, I don't, maybe, maybe you're like, Pastor, I never struggle with this. I, I know there's days where I'm like, I just want to put the covers over my head. I don't want to get out. That's not a real cave, but it's, it's a cave. It's a, I got a retreat. I just want the world to go away, and I go back into my darkness. I go into the things that push everybody out. I, rec- I recede into my cave. And here's what I love about God. He goes, what are you doing here? See, the question is, the, the, the thing that God is saying is, he goes, I didn't make you for this. I didn't design you for the darkness. I didn't create you to be retreated into depression. This isn't my best for you. Now, notice God doesn't show up and go, what's your problem? Suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. That's what some of us do. Not what God does. He goes, hey, tell me, what you're, tell me what's going on. Elijah's answer is, by the way, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They tore down your altars. They killed all of my friends, all the other prophets, and I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Not a very encouraging thing. Much like this message. You're like, I would have loved a different message today. Merry Christmas. I invited some friends, Pastor. <laughs> but I want you to see this because this is, this is true. This is, he says, look at what he's saying. I'm all alone. The thing you called me to do with my life, the purpose of my life, which is lead, is, is, as a prophet is to lead people, it's worthless. My life has no value. The very job you made me for, I can't even do that right. Nobody's following you. All my friends are dead, so now I'm scared, and I'm alone, and I'm depressed, and I'm angry, and my life doesn't feel like it has value, so I'm confused at what you're doing, God. I'm mad about all this. Like, you see all the emotions he begins to pour out? What I love is that God isn't mad at him for this. God is allowing Elijah to walk through something that I think some of us need to walk through. He says, tell me what you're feeling right now. He says, come on, what are you doing here? Let's talk about it. Some of you either need somebody to come along you, put, come alongside you, put their arm around you and say, hey, what are you doing here? Let's talk about how you're feeling. Let's talk about where you're at. Some of you need to be that person in somebody else's life. There's some of you that have some people in your family uh, that you go to school with, that you work with, that are in your neighborhood. God's put you in their life so that you would be brave enough to go up, put an arm around them and say, hey, what's going on? How are you feeling? Tell me about what you're thinking. Because when you're in a cave, you're not thinking straight. And you're not seeing all there is. So here's what I want to I show you. I'll just give you the end of the message right now. 
I want to tell you two things about depression that the Bible teaches us. There's two things that the Bible is, is showing us that God is letting us see on a very heavy subject, by the way. Discouragement and depression is real, and the Bible is actually letting us see it. God has this prophet and the next prophet record their depression for us. Why? Because he's trying to show us a couple of things, and I want you to, I want you, I just want us to own it today. First off, it's this. My feelings are valid. My feelings are valid. Jesus, uh, sorry, God is saying to Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you feeling? And then Elijah's discourse, I'm lonely, I'm scared, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm confused, I'm mad at the world, and I'm, I'm suicidal. I'm just done. He unpacks his emotions. You know why? Because God created your emotions. God created you to feel things. Now, you'll hear me get up and be like, hey, don't let your feelings control you. And that's true. But it doesn't mean that your feelings aren't valid. The way you feel right now, some of you just need to hear this. You're sad because you lost somebody. That's valid. That's not wrong. That's valid. You're confused because you look at the world and it's like everything's going to hell in a handbasket and you don't know how, how anything's going to work. So you, you, you don't get it. You're angry about something that's happened. You're, you're sad. You're whatever. Fill in the blank. Your feelings are valid. And that leads you to the second part, which is things feel impossible. This situation seems hopeless. I, I wish churches would stop acting like that's not actually the case. That is true. That is the way it feels. I got a doctor's diagnosis and I can't do anything about it. So it feels hopeless. It seems impossible to me. I, I, I had this relationship fall apart and they never want to talk to me again. And it just seems like there's no possible way to go forward. I've been struggling with this addiction for so many years that I don't think there's any way I'll ever get past it. It just... Can we just say what it is? It seems impossible. God records it because let's just own that today. That is how it is. But here's the thing. If we're going to be honest, then we have to be completely honest. So yes, your feelings are, are valid, but your feelings are also temporary. Yes, your feelings are valid. Your emotions are real, but they're also not permanent. The way you feel, the way your emotions right now, they are not they're not going to be that way forever. It feels, when you're in the cave, it feels like forever. But you have to remember both sides of this coin. Those feelings are real, but they're only temporary. And yes, the situation seems impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I am not, yeah, you can make some noise for that because that's a truth that'll set you free. There's some of you in a cave right now and you are not thinking of the second half of this. You're sitting there going, I have a feeling. Uh, my feelings are heavy and they're real and it seems impossible. And yes, that, those are both true. Your feelings are real and it does seem impossible, but your feelings are also only temporary. And with God, all things are possible. And this is the difference between staying in depression, staying in the cave, and the good word that begins to take you on a journey to walk out of the cave. And God calls Elijah out of the cave, and he talks to him through some things, and I'll come back to that in a second. But I told you I was going to show you two prophets. And this idea of your feelings being valid, there's a prophet named Jeremiah. He's actually called the weeping prophet. Go read the book of Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah goes through it, probably worse than most of us have gone through. Jeremiah lived at a time when the Babylonian Empire came into his country and conquered them. So he was alive, he was living when his countrymen, his family members, his closest friends, he watched them get murdered in the streets. His city gets burned to the ground. He watches the temple of God, Solomon's temple, which was this huge proclamation of Israel's willingness to follow God and their love for God. He watched the Babylonians come in and rip that thing down. They tore all the bricks down. They burned it to the ground. They robbed it of any of its value and destroyed that temple. He watched that happen. And the family members and friends that he didn't see murdered in front of him, he had to watch as they got taken away into slavery and were taken thousands of miles away. Talk about a tough life. Talk about having a reason to lament, to cry. And God said, write all those feelings down. And so Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations, his laments, his depression. God gave us access to this. I can't read it all to you. I I just picked a couple verses. This is Jeremiah describing his depression. Just listen, see if any of it resonates. In, In Lamentations 3, Verse two, he says, God has led me into darkness. It feels like God is making everything dark. He shut out all of the light. Remember, he's speaking metaphorically, but he's trying to describe depression in words. He says, it feels like he's turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old. I just feel old. I feel tired. He says, he's broken my bones. I feel, I just feel miserable. I feel like I, I feel like there's no reason to move. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. Everywhere I look, it's pain and suffering. Everything in my life is horrible. He's buried me in a dark place like those who are long dead. I feel like I'm living in a grave. He's walled me in, and I cannot escape. He's bound me in heavy chains, and though I cry and shout, he shut out my prayers. This is the man of God describing how he feels about God in this moment. It is okay to be broken. Your feelings, your emotions are valid. I feel heavy. I feel broken. I feel like I'm living in a grave. I feel like everywhere I look, everything that touches me is anguish and death and pain. And he says, that's how I feel. Your feelings are valid, but they're also temporary. And see, we struggle with this because we never deal with our feelings. We just kind of hope they'll go away. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not struggling. I'm good. I'll be fine. I'll be better tomorrow. I'll be better tomorrow. No, you're not. Some of you have not been fine for a long, long time. Why? Because you're not treating your emotions as valid. You're not even admitting how you feel. And I'm not saying thinking it up here. I'm saying you haven't had a conversation with God where you claimed and owned responsibility for these feelings. God, when God, when God goes to Elijah, he says, what are you feeling? And Elijah's like, fine, if you, if you want to know, I'm in this cave because everything sucks. You can have that conversation, by the way. By the way, God already knows how you feel. 
you having the conversation with him is not to enlighten him. It's for you to begin to own these feelings. See, they did a study. This is a secular study. has nothing to do with God. They did a study and they get all these people who are deathly afraid of spiders, arachnophobia. They, they have a death, death fear of a spider. So they put some tarantulas in a box and they put, them near, they put that box near the people. And then they said, all right, so they broke the group of all these people, hundreds of people that are afraid of spiders. They broke them into four categories and they said, this group, I want you to describe how you're feeling being close to the spider. Like, talk about your emotions. And people are like, oh, I got the heebie-jeebies and like I have the hairy legs and it's just like, oh, it's gross. And I'm, I feel afraid, I feel nervous and I'm, I'm sweating. And they said, okay. They said, this group over here, we want you to just talk about what's going on. Describe the cage, describe the room, talk about everything but what you're feeling. And they just described the table, they described the box, they, they talked about that. And they said, this group over here, I want you to talk about something that makes you think about anything else. Talk about the weather, talk about something completely obscure. And then this group over here, don't say anything. Just, just keep it all to yourself. Don't, don't express any feelings or any emotions. They had them all four. All four of them were equally afraid of spiders, and they all had four different reactions that are supposed to give. A week later, they brought them back, and they took the spider out of the box, and they put it out there for them. Out of the four groups, only the group that had accurately described their feelings and emotions a week earlier were able to move forward. The other three groups struggled incredibly with the spider being out of the box. Some of the people who were in that first group were actually able to touch the spider. You got to remember, this is people who are deathly afraid. The group, hear me out, psychologically, the group that owned their emotions, that talked about how they felt, that called it out and described what they were going through, had a week to process through that stuff, and they were in the healthiest spot the next time they came across the spider. That has nothing to do with the Bible, but I think God understands something that it takes our scientists a long time to figure out, and that is you need to own how you feel. You need to call it out. You need to say, hey, I am struggling. God, I'm struggling with anger. Now that I have given it a name, I can begin to unpack my anger today. But as long as I pretend, not me, I'm not a, I don't have a problem. Not me, I don't have anger issues. You don't? You just keep burying that anger and it's like winding a mouse trap. Nothing to see here, just keep winding that. And then eventually one of my kids or one of my family members, they're gonna set that mouse trap off because I've been denying it and I've been burying it. It's just like winding a spring. And then all of a sudden, all it takes is one thing. And then you got that hair trigger, you snap at somebody, and we usually snap at the people we love most because we, we hit it all day at work, right? We hit it all day at school. And now we have this stuff come out because we're not owning our feelings. Our feelings are real, but remember, they're only temporary. I said it this way. Emotions are good for indicating where you are, but they're bad for instructing you where to go. You're never going to get improvement if you don't own where you are. So your feelings are valid. Let's own it today. God, I am angry. God, I am scared. God, I am mad. Own it. He already knows. You just are the one that's not, that's not admitting it. So own it. If you have somebody who's struggling, sit down and let them voice how they feel. And they may, it may take them a while to actually name their emotions. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't know. Let's unpack it. Let's start peeling back some layers. What's going on? How can I help? And you know what the biggest help will be? Tell me how you feel. Tell me what's going on. Just let them unpack. That's where that healing starts. 
But if you use your emotions to tell you where to go next, now you've screwed up. See, when I'm in a cave, my emotions are not letting me see clearly. Emotions, I describe this way, emotions are like a postcard. Like, hey, look where I am. This is where I'm at, world's biggest ball of yarn. Postcards are great. They describe where you are. You should not get in the card with a postcard and be like, let's determine where I'm going next. They make horrible roadmaps. They let you know where you're at, but they should not tell you where you're going. That's the difference between postcards and roadmaps. Emotions are great for identifying where I'm at. They are not good to help me go forward. Look at what, look at what Elijah wanted to do with his emotions. Go back to verse 4. When he was alone in the wilderness, traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. God, I've had enough. Kill me now. His emotions were driving him to make a decision that he should not make. He was discouraged and sad, and his answer to all that sadness, all that fear, all that confusion, and all that anger was, I just want to die. I, I need to get this word out to somebody. That is never the answer. It's never the answer. Satan wants you to think that ending something or making a permanent decision is the way to go forward. If you're, you got to remember, your emotions are temporary. So I put it this way. Don't make a permanent decision based on a temporary feeling. Just, oh, I'm done. I'm just going to end it now. God, God is the one who determines when it's over. So if God is not saying it's over, then what God is saying is, I've got more for you. This is not the end of your journey. And you going, I wish it was the end. I think it should be over. That's, that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. Satan would love for your journey to be over because he knows that God's got more for you to do. And he doesn't want you to give into that. So, he's, so what I'm telling you today is don't make a... Per now, listen, it's not just suicide. Some of you, you're done with your marriage. I'm done. My marriage is over. It sucks. It's worse. It's never... Don't make a permanent decision based on a temporary feeling. I hate that person. I'll never talk to him again. Burn the bridge. No, 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 no. Don't make a decision like that based on a, on a temporary thing. Yes, you're mad at them. Yes, you're hurt. Don't make some really big decisions based on some temporary feelings. Do you hear me? Every one of you that are trying to make a big decision, you want to right now be mad at me and tell me that what I, the advice I gave you doesn't count for your situation. That's because you're in a cave and your feeling is all you're feeling. That emotion is all you've got. I, I, I want a good word to set you free today. Okay, well then, Pastor, what do I do with all of this? Well, there's actually a story of David. David is, uh, is a shepherd boy who kills a giant named Goliath. It was on his journey to become king, but long before he becomes king, he has to go through some struggles. And one day he's out, he's got his mighty men. He's got an army of men that have sworn allegiance to him. And he and those men go out and they're fighting the bad guys. But while they're out there fighting the bad guys, other bad guys, the Amalekites come in and they go to their hometown and they burn down their houses. They steal all of their stuff. They take all of their cows and donkeys and they take their wife and children as captives. So these men come home from war looking to give somebody a hug. And when they come over the hill, they see their homes burned to the ground and everything they have is gone. And it says this in, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed. You could just say depressed. 
For the people spoke of stoning him. His own friends, his own men that he had just gone to battle with are looking to kill him because the soul of all the people was grieved. That's talking about depression again. Discouragement on a level that most of us have never experienced. They were all grieving for their sons and daughters. Now watch this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What does that mean? What does it mean to strengthen yourself? It means simply this. You may be in a place, you may be in a cave right now, and there isn't another brother or sister in Christ. There isn't somebody who loves God. There isn't somebody who, uh, you don't have a pastor, you don't have somebody in your life to give you the good word. David was, in essence, without friends at this moment. And it says he strengthened himself. Guys, sometimes you have to preach to yourself. Sometimes you have to, I hope that you have a connect group. I hope that you have some godly family members or friends. That's the reason we do church. That's the reason you don't sit at home and watch this on the computer. It's the reason you come out and you struggle for a parking spot and you sit next to somebody you don't know. It's because just maybe God has put somebody in your life to be this partner, to be this help to put their arm around you when you're struggling. But if you find yourself in a cave with nobody, preach to yourself. If you find yourself like David, where everybody's against you, you don't have a friend, preach to yourself. Let's go back to Jeremiah, who writes this entire book of lamentations and how things suck. And I, I'm, I cut out some of the best stuff. He talks about like God makes him eat gravel and dirt. And just like, he's like, this is, this is the words, it just sucks. He writes all that stuff. And then in in verse 21, he says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, when I preach to myself, when I remember, when I make myself remember other things. He says, the faithful, I love this verse, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. God is loyal to me even when I stop being loyal to him. His mercies never cease. He is still, even in the middle of all this crap, God is still being merciful to me because there's a lot more crap that I'm not going through because God is holding it back. So yes, he's letting me walk through the valley, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. See, even in the middle of the valley of death, God's mercy is that he's still walking with me. God still got me. And so Jeremiah preaches to himself. He says, I got to remember, I got to remind myself that great is his faithfulness. Great are his mercies that begin afresh each morning. One of my pastor friends has no idea what I'm preaching on today. He just sent me this verse. I don't think it's a coincidence. He sent me this verse this morning. It just says, God's mercies are fresh today and tomorrow. Every morning, God's mercies are fresh. And I love that Jeremiah is reminding himself, watch this, I say to myself, some of y'all need to start talking to yourself on the ride to work. Some of you already do, but you're not talking the right things. You're like, there's a freaking driver if he doesn't get out of my way. Talk to yourself in the right, preach, preach to yourself. <coughs> I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. I say to myself, I will hope in him. I preach to myself, the Lord is good, verse 25. I tell myself the Lord's good to those who depend on him. I remind myself that I have to search for him. I tell myself, so it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. I have to remind myself. I have to preach to myself. What do I have to preach to myself? I have to remind myself that although this situation seems impossible, with God, anything is possible. Yeah. 
I have to remember, yeah, what I'm feeling is real, so let me talk my feelings out and tell God how I'm feeling, and then let me keep preaching to myself a good word that sets me free, that begins to take me out of the cave. Step by step, you're not going to jump from the deepest, darkest cave to the brightest mountaintop, but you need to start making steps today. Get a good word to start setting yourself free, saying, God, what do you want me to remember? There's a time where Jesus was with his disciples and there's this little child, this little boy who was demon possessed. And Jesus comes up to him and he says, hey, how long has this been going on? What's, how long has it been happening with this kid? And the dad, the dad, Jesus says, Jesus asks him, this is in Mark chapter nine. Jesus asked the dad and in verse 22, the dad says, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water that the demons keep trying to kill him. Please have mercy on us and help us if you can. How many times have we had that conversation with God? God, just, just do something. If you can do something, just do something. God, I'm struggling. God, it sucks. God, it's the worst. Just if you could do something. And I like Jesus' response. What do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I... God, just help. If you could do something, God, if you can do something, do something. What do you mean if I can? See, that's, that's you not knowing the truth. That's you struggling. Because he says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. No matter how bad your situation is right now, no matter how dark your marriage looks, no, how, no matter how strong your addiction is, no matter how big the pile of bills are, what you're feeling is temporary because with God, anything is possible. Now, yeah, you can make some noise for that. Now, by the way, I love the dad's response. I love the dad's response. Uh, the father instantly cried out, I, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I believe, but I'm struggling to believe. Help me. Help me. I'm struggling to believe. Yeah, pastor, how does this all work? Well, Philippians 4, 8 says, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Train your brain to think about things differently. Fix your thoughts and focus. Instead of all the crap that scares you and makes you angry, fix your thoughts on what's true, what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable. Think about things that are excellent, worthy of praise. I put it this way. Stop focusing on what hurts and start focusing on the one who heals. Preach to yourself. I am not going, I am not going to keep giving time and energy to all of the negative thoughts I'm going to, God, I need your help. I need to start thinking about the things that are pure and lovely. There's so much good in the world that I'm missing. I don't know if any of you guys ever uh, listened to a guy named Simon Sinek. He speaks a lot, does some TED Talks, that kind of stuff. And he was speaking about how the brain struggles to comprehend the negative. And he uses the illustration of, of skiers. And he says, um, in, in skiing, the guys who cut through the woods, the guys that go through the wood trails and have all the big trees... He says, the best ones know a truth. And the truth is simply this. You cannot cut through the woods and go, don't hit a tree, don't hit a tree, don't hit a tree. Because if you do that and all you're thinking about is trees, guess what you're going to hit? Trees. The best skiers, the ones who actually know how to do it, they go into it going, find the snow, find the path. Look for the snow, look for the path. And they're the ones that go. Because if you go into it, looking at the negative, focusing on all the things that are bad, that's all you're going to see is all of these trees and eventually you're going to hit them. If you keep waking up every day, looking at the world as the negative and focusing only on the negative, then all you're going to see tomorrow is obstacles. Do you understand what I'm saying? Fix your mind. Fix your thoughts on what's pure and what's lovely. God, you've got more for me than what I see. 
more for me than what I watch on TV, more for me than what I'm feeling in this moment of despair and brokenness. God calls Elijah out of the cave and he says, by the way, bro, there's thousands of prophets who haven't bent their knee. There's thousands of prophets still alive. You're not alone. You just felt like you were alone. Your life isn't worthless. There's actually good happening. And as bad as the situation seems, I've got better coming for you. And Jeremiah tells himself, God's mercies are new every day. He's got better for me. Here's what I want you to see. Psalms chapter 119 verse 48 says, I will lift my hands towards your commands, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. I will think about who you are. I will fix my mind on how good you are. And I'm going to change my posture while I do that. So here's what I want. I want you to stand up. And I want you to change your posture because I want you to think about posture for a second. How's the physically, physically, how's the, how's the posture of somebody who's really depressed? Even if it's not visible, if it's just metaphorically inside, a depressed person is, is down. They're reserved. It's dark. It's heavy. Their voice is solemn. They want to retreat. If you could give a physical attribute to an emotional state of depression, it would be sunken and sullen and heavy. Now, reverse that. If you were to give a physical trait to somebody who was confident, joy-filled, hopeful, the shoulders would be back, the head would be high, the voice would have more confidence and it. It would, it would look different. That's what I love about Psalms. So I love about that verse. God, I'm going to stretch my arms towards your commands. I'm going to change my posture. That's what I love about how we worship. Now, I know some of you come from churches that this is how you stand. That's fine. That's how you grew up. I get it. Some of you have never been to a church besides this church. One of the things I've learned to do is I've learned to worship by just changing my posture. Because here's the thing. This posture it's two things. If somebody came and said, hey, stick them up. I'm good. See, this, this is a posture of surrender. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Surrender. Surrender. See, I go before God and I go, God, I don't need any more of me. I need more of you. I surrender to who you are and whatever it is you have for me. I will think about what you want me to think about. I surrender to your will. This is also a sign, by the way, of victory. We won. We did it. See, it sounds like an oxymoron to surrender to God and find victory. But when I, because when in our world, if you surrender, you're the loser. But see, in God's world, he says, when you lay down your life for me, that's when you actually win it. That's when you actually find it. See, James 4 says that when you submit to God, when you humble yourself, when you surrender yourself before God, that's when you can resist the devil. And that's when the devil finally leaves you alone is when you have this posture, God, with you, all things are possible. With you, I have a chance at victory. I can actually overcome this. But when it's just me and just my feelings, I begin to go the wrong direction. So today, I come before you. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I want you to bow your head. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to look around, but I just want you to be honest with, with God for a second. In a conversation between you and God, have you ever surrendered to him? Have you ever had a posture of God, more of you and less of me? Has there ever been a time in your life where you simply said, God, I need you to be in control. I need you to be the one 
Have you ever been a time in your life where you said, God, I'm going in the wrong direction. You save me. You fix me because I can't fix myself. If in this moment right now, you would simply invite Jesus Christ into your heart, you would invite him into your life. You would say, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of the things that are broken and help me, God, have a different plan. If you would put Jesus in the driver's seat of your life right now, the Bible says you will be saved and you'll have a home in heaven. And if in that same, if in that same vein, let me ask, there's some of you that would say, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you'd say, I'm already a believer, I'm already saved, but are you living in a cave? Are you, are you weighed down by thoughts and feelings and emotions that aren't God's best for you? Then I'm telling you today, God's saying, what are you doing here? I've got more for you. I've got better for you. If in the quiet of this moment, you would own the fact that God wants you to believe that all things are possible with him, would you just tell him, God, I'm sorry. Here's what I've been feeling. Here's, what I, here's what's going on in my life but I need more of you. I need, I need God to be reminded that you, you, you keep all things possible. You keep things for what I need. God, today I'm going to trust you more. I'm going to begin a journey walking out of a cave. Maybe today God has some of you. He's put a, put a person on your heart. There's somebody in your life that's in a cave. There's somebody in your life that's struggling through depression. And he's telling you right now, you, he's, he wants you to go help them walk out. Help them to begin to walk through this journey. Make sure they don't feel alone. But wherever you're at, would you just do business with God? As I pray, you pray. Dearly Father, Lord God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for loving us. God, we thank you for taking the, the time to leave heaven, to come to earth, to die for us. But God, we thank you that you also included in scripture what it looks like to be depressed and how, Lord, we might be able to walk back from that. So God, we have a lot of feelings. We have a lot of emotions. And you said that those are, are valid, but they're not supposed to be where it stops, that we're supposed to cling to something greater than that. And so Lord, you provided yourself. And I pray that each and every one of us would cling to you, that we would be reminded that the same God who helped Elijah, the same God who helped Jeremiah, that gave David, the same God that gave David the strength to go forward, the same God that, that called Mary and Joseph to to be parents, the same God that helped Peter walk on water, that same God is the one that we serve today that makes all things possible. And so, Lord, we lay down our problems, our discouragement. We lay it at your feet, and we claim that the precious name of Jesus Christ is what sets us free. God, we sing, we praise, we pray to you. Lord, we ask that this would be a week of freedom. This would be a week as we go about what we're called to do. We would find joy and peace and hope in you. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.